I was going through my notes and everything of all the different times that I've come, and I got to thinking, what do I speak on this time? Um, because one of the blessings of, of what I get to do is I get to travel around to different places. Well, you go back to one place enough times, you have to, make, you have to come up with some new sermons because you can't keep using the same ones over and over again. So what we're going to do today, this morning and this evening, is we're just going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus, and this morning we'll be in, in Luke chapter 8. But before we go into Luke chapter 8, I have to make a confession, and sometimes it's embarrassing, that I really like shows about cars. And my wife, every time she comes around and I'm watching another show, she's like, is it about cars? interesting show that um, it's called Matt's Off-Road Recoveries. And I really like it because Matt is an off-roader and he's got these really nice rigs for going off-roads and they're up in Utah. So they have a lot of, lot of people who go out into the countries of U in Utah. And he, is, he gets called to pull people out of some of the biggest predicaments they find themselves in. Because people, when they get in an off-road vehicle, sometimes they think they have better ability than their vehicle is capable of doing. And they'll get stuck, and they'll run through rivers, and they'll get almost falling off cliffs, and they'll try for hours to get themselves out. And when they can't get themselves out anymore, they pick up the phone, and they call Matt's Off-Road Recovery. And he takes his team up there, and his whole slogan is, we'll get them out. And so once they go up there, they spend hours on it, they get them out, they give them a t-shirt that they're supposed to wear that says, Matt's Off-Road Recovery got us out. And I got to thinking about that story, and I was thinking, as, as I go through that story, that's a parable of real life a lot of times. We as people, sometimes we go and we do things, and then all of a sudden we're stuck. Or the situation around us doesn't allow us to get out of what we're in. And then all of a sudden we've got to call somebody else for help to get us out of the situation we find ourselves in. And you know if it was just in the physical things of life, like getting a car stuck in the mud, life would be really easy. But often our life is not quite that simple. We do things. They get us stuck in situations. We experience difficulties in life that put us stuck with, with illness and, and troubles with, with the law even sometimes. And we always get into a spot. I don't know if you do, but I usually get into a spot. I've got to have somebody's help. So this morning, I want to show you just a little bit about how people in, the, in, the, in Luke chapter 8, they were in a dire situation. They were kind of stuck. And their solution was to reach out to Jesus. But the way they reached out is not like we usually tend to think about reaching out. So open your Bibles to chapter 8 of Luke. And it's interesting to me that when we come into our text... We're going to start in about verse 4, and we're going to tell a couple of stories from, from Luke chapter 8. The interesting thing is that Luke starts chapter 8 dealing with the preaching of the gospel. He deals with the preaching of the gospel, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them this story about this guy who goes out to, to, to spread seed, or goes out to, to, to get ready for his crops. And as he's going and he's throwing seed, he gives them the example, and I'm in verse 4 and following. He gives them the example that the farmer goes out and some of the seed falls 
on the rocky soil. Or actually, some falls on the path first, and then some falls on the rocky soil, and then some, some falls among the thorns, and then finally, at least, and all of that, some of it actually th- falls within good soil. And so what he's doing, he's showing, he's throwing this, this seed out, and it's falling on these different, land, different areas of the, of the terrain. And it really confuses the disciples a little bit, because in a few, ver- a few verses later, he's got to explain to them what this is all about. And he says that though it falls along the path, he talks about that this is the gospel and this is the message of God and this is the word of God that falls and basically never takes root. So it's about people who hear the gospel, but it doesn't take root in their life. And then some will fall along the rocky path or the rocky ground and they receive it with joy, but there's not enough soil there for the roots to dig in. And so it fades away rather quickly. And then some falls along the, among the thorns. And it falls along the ground that it begins to grow. But as, as, as life happens, the, the gospel begins to get choked out by the thorns. And life loses its meaning. And we go back to not believing anymore. And then finally he talks about this good soil. That produces hundredfold what the farmer had gotten. And as I got to thinking about that story, I think it's very interesting. The next three examples of people I'm going to show you, they were, at some point, soil or the seed was scattered to them because they had heard the message or they had heard about Jesus. And when they got to their desperate situation, they came to him. So starting in verse 22, we've seen he, he's told him this parable and he's talking about who's his family and those who do the, the word of God. But then he says one day his disciples go get in a boat and they're going to go across the river and they've been teaching and preaching and sharing the faith and they're out doing what God's called them to do and they're going to rest and they're going to go across the lake to the other side. And they get in the boat, and the story goes that Jesus in this boat, he gets tired and he goes to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, the disciples who are trying to get across the river end up running into a storm, or the storm brews and builds up. And in this process, now they're trying to figure out, okay, what is going on here? And there's there's such a panic in their lives that they get desperate. And they look back in the boat, and Jesus is asleep. And so they wake him up, and they try to get him up. He's, do you not care that we're going to die? And he's like, well, let's calm the storm. And he tells the storm to calm down. And as he tells the storm to calm down, and he rebukes the water and tells the storm to be still, then they're more afraid of him because he can control the storm than of the storm itself. And so I imagine, just imagine them in this storm, it all of a sudden calms, and now they're going to make a a beeline for the closest shore they can find. But they really didn't pay a lot of attention because they come across on the shore and they end up in a cemetery. 
Now, I want you to imagine where they find themselves. They found themselves in a boat that they thought they were going to die, but now that Jesus calmed the storm, now they're going to try to run out of the, get off the water so that they can do it. And as soon as they step off the boat into the, onto the ground, onto the, onto the terrain, in this cemetery, who greets them? A demon-possessed man. And it's so interesting because it's a demon-possessed man, but this man comes running at Jesus screaming at the top of his lungs. Now, the description of this man is rather interesting because this man has not bathed in years. This man is dirty. He's nasty. He's smelly. He's got long hair. He's got visible scars of where he cuts himself. He's probably malnourished from living out a solitary life. And he's been outcast by everyone in town. You know, we're coming up on Halloween and people will put pretty scary masks on to try to go trunk or treating and, tr and trigger treating. But I bet this guy was much scarier than anything we see. Now here you are, stepping off a boat, and there's this scary man coming out of a cemetery at you. And he's yelling at Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, stop tormenting me. And it says in the text that when he came up to Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. He fell at his feet in a way that was crying out for Jesus, the Son of the God, of the Most High God, help me. He falls at the feet of Jesus. And we know the story that after just a few minutes, he has this interaction with the demon. And Legion is the name of the demon. And so Legion is cast out into the pigs and they run off into the, into the ocean and die in the ocean. And the herders who watch this going on, when they see what's going on, he runs in and to tell the people of town and they come out to see what they're going to, they're going to see about this demon-possessed man. And they find this man sitting, at, the text is sitting in his right mind, clothed with Jesus. Whose clothes do you think he's wearing? If he didn't have clothes before, Jesus is the only one there, they probably didn't have an extra bit of clothes, so whose clothes do you think he's put on? Probably Jesus' clothes. So Jesus not only has cast out this demon of his life and, and secured what he's going on in his life, he's taken his own cloak off of him and given it to this man. And it's so interesting to me that when the people see this, this event in their lives, the people who come out of the, out of the town who've seen this demon-possessed man, who've seen the miracle that Jesus has done, what is their response to Jesus? To Jesus, they say, get out of here, we don't want you around. Look at the difference of two people or two groups of people. One, you've got the demon-possessed man who comes to Jesus and falls at his feet and the people come out of town who now know that this man has been healed. They reject Jesus and tell him to go on his way. But the demon-possessed man says, I need Jesus. And so if you continue on in the story, it's interesting because there's two more stories that follow that that have the same reaction to Jesus. As that story continues, they, they send them away. They go back across the, the, the sea, which doesn't seem to have any problem this time. They get across on the other side, and we come across a man named Jairus. 
And Jairus is a man, a leader in the, in the town, a leader in the synagogue, and he seems to be one of these guys that has everything all together. He's got the perfect job. He's got the perfect finances. He doesn't have any needs. He doesn't have any worries. He doesn't have any thing that would make him look odd. Except that we know that when he comes to Jesus, he has a problem. His 12-year-old daughter is sick. Think about it. This guy is a leader among the Jews. Well respected in his community. He is one who people go to for advice. He is one who, who strives to uphold God. And he's probably spent a lot of time in prayer trying to get God, Jehovah, to help heal his daughter. And in her process, she just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And this man, now Jairus, is in this dilemma. Do I go to the one who I know can heal her or do I maintain my social status that I find myself in? Because for him to step away and go to Jesus would be like going to a heretic in the eyes of the people around him. It would be like taking out everything that you are in your community and giving that up for your daughter. Of course, we know that desperate situation. And when he's in this desperate situation, as a Jewish leader goes to Jesus and the text says he came to Jesus and fell at Jesus' feet because his situation needed Jesus. And so Jesus says, okay, let's go see your girl. Let me go help you. But in that process of leaving there, there's another woman. There's a woman who comes to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't even really know she's there. And people are pressing against him, and this woman has been sick for 12 years, or she's been sick for a number of years, and she's had this, this problem of bleeding. Now, we don't quite understand what that means, because for us, you fix it and you move on. But in the Jewish culture, someone who had spent this much time being 12 years in this process of this bleeding illness, she spent 12 years as an unclean person in that community. No one was supposed to talk to her. No one was supposed to be around her. No one was even supposed to care for her. And for 12 years, she could not go and worship God. She was a complete outcast. Her family was not able to be around her. Her friends had abandoned her. She was broke because the doctors had taken all her money. And here she is, desperate as an outcast. And the story is, she's so desperate. She's so desperate that she thinks she's got one opportunity to, to, to get with Jesus. A one opportunity to be healed. She didn't even really know that that's what he was going to do. But she took this opportunity and in all the people around her, she reaches out her hand and just touches the hem of his garment. And immediately, the blood stopped. And there's a fun interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And he says, well, okay, who touched me? And his disciples are like, Jesus, there's thousands of people around you. Anybody touched you? He said, no. Power has gone out from me. 
And when this woman in her desperate state, now having been healed by Jesus, it says she made herself through the crowd and fell at his feet in fear. And she got down before Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Desperate, but now going in peace. And then they go on to Jairus' house. They get there, and the people are crying because they think the girl is dead. And Jesus goes into the house, tells them to stop wailing, to stop crying because she's only asleep. He raises the girl from the dead, and everyone is astonished about what Jesus has done. desperate situation? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that situation that you're so desperate? Because if you look at all three of these events, all three of them have three, three things in common. The first one is that they were all in desperate situations. The demon-possessed man was in an isolated, outcast People were afraid of him. He had nothing good to offer society. And he was tormented day by day by the demon. The woman with the bleeding disease, she was, she was desperate with illness, broken families, alienated from God, distant from their loved ones, and sick for 12 years. And Jairus, a man of importance, Emotionally spent, spiritually distraught, and physically drained over the sickness of a loved one. So as you look at these stories, these three people, we know they came to Jesus and they didn't just walk up to Jesus and explain to Jesus their issue. They walked up to Jesus or ran up to Jesus or crawled up to Jesus and they fell at His feet to, because they were desperate in their situation. So when we look at Jesus, What is your desperate situation? Or do you have it all figured out? Because as long as we had it all figured out, we won't fall at his feet. So we have to realize that there is desperateness in our lives. There is a desperate situation that we must face every day as we face life. But what's even more interesting is if you look at the stories throughout the, 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 the story of Luke and Mark and Matthew, we see so many people in desperate situations. We see people in desperate situations that Jesus sometimes would go out to the, to the sick. And even sometimes people would bring Jesus to the, or bring the sick to Jesus. But in the case of these three, they were so desperate, they had to go to him. They had to go to him because the demon-possessed man running out of the tomb, screaming at the top of his lungs, is going to fall at the feet of Jesus. The woman who's approaching Jesus is falling at his feet. 
And Jairus leaves his place to go talk and fall at the feet of Jesus. Jesus took care of their needs. So the question is, for us, what's our first step? What's the first step we have to take to go to Jesus to put ourselves in His spot so that He can do what He needs to do in our lives? Because if we're waiting for Him to come to, it, to us, sometimes it doesn't happen. If we're waiting for someone else to take us there, sometimes it doesn't happen. So once we get desperate enough, once we understand that we are desperate enough in our situation, that we will go to Him. It's the second thing they all had in common. And the third thing they all had in common was that no matter what their situation was, it was like, no, how, no matter how bad it had gotten, no matter what they had done in their past, no, ma no matter how ugly the situation was, independent of what they had done, how they had lived, how smelly, dirty, nasty they were, whatever position of authority they were in, whatever they had to gain or lose, they had to fall at the feet of Jesus. What in your life needs healing? What in your life needs redeeming? What in your life needs purifying? What in your life needs restoring? Are you ready to take it to the feet of Jesus? Or are you going to keep it for yourself? Are you going to fall at his feet with those things? Or are you going to just tell God, no, I got this one. Because until we can let go and let God, we cannot do, or we will not receive the healing he provides. In Hebrews chapter 10, and this is, the, this is what I want you to take home. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a renewed and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great high priest over all the house of God. He says, since we have these things, since we have this avenue, since we have this certainty, since we have this ability to go into the presence of God, he says in verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled by the cleansing us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed by pure water. Draw near. Don't stand at a distance. Don't be distant from God because He's provided the way for you to walk up and be with Him. So draw near. Let us hold unwavering to the hope that we profess that he who promised is faithful. I'm not faithful, but he who made the promise is. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not neglecting together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more that we see the day drawing near. Jesus is the way to draw near. But we have to go to Him 
if we want that forgiveness and we want that relationship and we want that healing. We live in a society today in a culture that says, I must pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I must do it on my own. I am independent and I am capable. But reaching out to Jesus means you can't and don't do it on your own. You let him do for you what you can't do for yourself. And you just submit to him. Demon-possessed man outcast in his community. Woman sick for years outcast from the church or from the Jewish people. Jewish leader who was needing a renewed relationship with God. So independent of your situation. I would ask you, whatever it is, take the step to approach Jesus. Put yourself at his feet and he will heal, he will free, he will save, he will give life, etc., 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 to you. The question is, will you take the first step? Because Jesus is the perfect healer. And so as we look at this song, what a joy it is to come to the feet of the healer of our souls and not just our physical ailment. So if you need to respond, come as we stand and sing.